Hello. Hello. How are you, John? Hey, Dan. So I, I think the truck is, I've got my noise gate set so we won't hear too much. Dan, you, uh, you were communicating with me via text that there was a loud truck outside. Yes, as soon as about five, not even five minutes before we were sent to begin our program here that we do, uh, a truck moved into position directly in front of the house or right to, across the street from it and started, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I was starting to think maybe it's some kind of like industrial carpet cleaning type vehicle truck mm-hmm, because there mm-hmm. are a lot of like hoses and tubes and things that come off of it. Maybe it's the internet. Yeah, maybe it's the internet. Mm-hmm. They drive it around and park it in different places. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so it starts, it's doing this thing where it, it has machinery, somehow part, on part of it has machinery. And then the truck itself is also idling. And, it, and it's one of those big, you know, one of those big trucks that's like, um, you know, got, got a lot going on in it. It's loud. It's a big truck with a lot going on. And, and it's, it's like loud. idling and, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I wasn't sure when, this how story long it checks was, out. was going to stick ex- around. Sounds like, it sounds like the man. It sounds like they're there and they know you're there and this uh-huh. is all part of the big plan. Right. They're watching me. Well, I'm glad that you. <clears throat> but I think I've got the noise gate work. I think it should be fine. Glad you took care to not have the show be marred by a by a big loud machine truck. Well, no one would be able to hear what we were saying, and we have important things to talk about. I don't hear a uh, a crazy noise gate on your on your end, so you've you've done a, you've done a good job. Well, I moved I moved things around a little bit. I have the microphone. I'm I'm facing. Usually, it's kind of in a way where I think the microphone was sort of facing where the sound would come from, but I kind of turned my desk around and got mm-hmm. on the other side of it. So I'm hopeful that these changes that we're implementing here will see us uh, through the process, but it's still there. I mean, like I can hear it, but I don't think it's being picked up. So that's good. Did you switch the, the pattern on the microphone? No, or did you no. Switch it in and out of phase? No. Anything like that? I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't think I needed to do that. And I, nope. I just kind of moved things. Uh, in the office around. Well, this is a little glimpse of this is what podcasts do. Scene. Yeah, I've done a I've done a thing. Uh, I've changed my situation. I was going to say I, you sound different to me. You sound better. Not that you sounded anything but good before, but you sound better. Well, what what uh, what I did the other day? See, I've got a cupboard uh, that is full of light bulbs. Because when I moved in, <clears throat> a lot of the light bulbs in the house were <laughs> were old light, you know, traditional light bulbs. Sure. The kind that get hot and use a lot of power. What are those? They, in other words, the good kind, the incandescent kind. Incandescent light bulbs. And uh, so I was an early adopter of LED light bulbs back when I lived at the farm. And of course, the original ones looked terrible, but when they when they finally worked out LED bulbs so that they could cast a warm glow. Yeah. Although, as you say, still never as beautiful as an incandescent bulb. Oh, right. Um, but I went around and I changed all the light bulbs. But I'm also, uh, I don't like to use the H word, but I like to keep things. I don't like to throw things out that still work. Sure. 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the eighth word. No. But I don't want to just get rid of twenty five perfectly good light bulbs. So they're where in a in a drawer? Well, no. So then I put them in a cupboard. Well, then there are also situations here at the house where floodlights are needed. Different style of light oh, bulb, yeah, out, yeah, outdoor yeah. floodlights. Yeah, no, no judgment. So I bought uh, I bought some of those in LED, and replaced the incandescent ones. Uh, and then and then those went in a in a cupboard. But of course, the package of bulbs I bought had more bulbs than I needed, so there were extra bulbs in each of these cases. And then there were some bulbs I saw that I liked better. I bought those bulbs, even though I wasn't, sh- I didn't really need them. And then there was there was a place where I needed a dimmer, a bulb that that was a dimmer bulb. And so I went and I bought a a little package of dimmer bulbs. But then I had a bunch of extras anyway. So I have a cupboard that's got a lot of light bulbs in it. Too many light bulbs. Yeah. And my policy about it was just. You know, that's the light bulb cupboard. You put the bulbs in there and you forget about it. But the other day I I opened it up and I was like, somebody's got to do something about these light bulbs. Sure. I pulled them all out and I arranged them on the table where I normally podcast, which is the dining room table because I'm not fully. I still imagine you in that basement though. I know I'm not I'm not fully in in here, you know. There's still so much work to do. The basement is just a disaster area. The I, I have to replace the floor. I don't know how I'm going to do all this. So I'm I'm podcasting from the dining room table. Well, there's a big plate glass window right behind me. I'm in a dining room. Right. It's not the best sounding space. That doesn't sound so bad. I, actually, sounds really good right now. That sounds it sounds fine. Well, oh no. So right now. What I did, I woke up. I woke up this morning. But now, 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 <laughs> and I went uh, into the dining room with my with my coffee that I made in my increasingly unpleasant Keurig that I got as a gift from someone. Oh. Keurig is is for dentist offices. Car, car co- dealerships. My real coffee pot is in the storage space somewhere, so I'm just using these. And of course, I object to the Keurig pods being expensive, so I always buy the cut rate, you know, 100 of them from Costco. Uh, so you're taking an even bad experience and making it worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the I get the Costco box that says, like, donut shop coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, I know the I'm one. Because I'm trying to punish myself, you <laughs> right. know, in every way. It's like, no, the coffee at the Ford dealership is too tasty. <laughs> You know, I was um, I was actually unrelated to this. I, I I was my mom is in the market for a new car. Her car lease is up, and I I have a fundamental disagreement with leasing cars. It's a different topic, but okay. she asked me to go with her to look at some new cars. So I was with her, and as soon as we got there, the guy uh, at the dealership says, um, do, "Do you guys want anything? Like, what do you, you know? What do you have? Oh, well, you know, we got coffee, we got juice." You know, you need to use the restroom. You need it. And he had all these, I realized if it was ever like just a really hot day or something and you just wanted like some refreshments and you didn't want to pay, uh-huh. you could just go to a car dealership under the pretense of like wanting to see what they had, you know, incentives sure. or something. And you could probably get a whole meal or at least like a, like a coffee type meal out of it. Yeah. Refreshing. Yeah. 
And it's, got, say, it's air conditioned, about, you know? What about one bourbon, one shot, and one beer? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I just I just realized, I, and I was thinking about bringing that up to you, is that, you know how there's all the, there's like websites that like, if you're, in, you know, if you're in the, like in the streets of New York and you need to use a restroom. Right. You know, like, well, go to the corner of, you know, Fifth and Main. And, oh yeah, Fifth and Main, the famous know. New York uh, address. <laughs> and and uh, what are they saying? Just take a dump right there on the. No, they'll be like the, you know the 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 hotel there won't stop oh. you if you use their public restroom, you know, something like that. Like you can you it's can like use an the Atlas restroom. Obscura yeah. kind of. Thing. Yes, yes. So I just realized, like maybe car dealerships are like the next frontier. Yeah, you should start a website that's just all about like where you can get free juice on a hot day. Thinking about it. All you have to do is listen to a, <laughs> I mean, Dan, if you wanted to listen to uh, like a timeshare spiel, you could go, you right, could go right. to Hawaii and get a, you know, you could go around the world. Yeah, I know you really could. Like there's someone should do someone in their twenties should do that. I think before, you know, they don't have any other responsibilities to so just see how far they can get. With just like being a party to timeshare presentations, like where can I'm they? Sure where can they go? Done it. Someone absolutely has. If gone, not, it'd be a damn good TV show. I'll tell you why. Yeah, going around the world just like <laughs> listening to spiels in right. order to get a, a a five a five day free trip. Yeah, and you know the spiels are so heavy at those things. You would have to have a kind of bulletproof personality or mm-hmm. you would have to just be relishing the scam you're putting over so yeah. that you would endure all that. Cause I don't think they let you go and just say like, ha ha. I think they make you attend. The car dealerships don't though. No, I mean, true. I would say the car dealerships aren't getting you around the, the globe or anything like a timeshare spiel would no but they've got they've got donuts they've got coffee no, they got everything in there everything anything you want and they they'll let you sit and hang out yeah sit and hang out sit in you a know? comfortable car try the stereo yeah you could you could turn the stereo on and, and be like i'm gonna shut the door and just check it out and then just like tilt the seat back yeah. rock out in there for a while until they kind of tap on the window and you're like oh yeah sorry i was right. just really adjusting the but like tweeters. i drove i drove a uh a honda crv Hmm. Um, Sensible car seemed fine. Well, in my case, what I did today was I walked over to my normal podcasting space at the head of the dining room table, and it was covered with light bulbs. So many light bulbs, in fact, because I I spread the light bulbs out, but then I didn't do the next step, which was sort the light bulbs. Mm. And of course, because it's me. I'm going to need to sort them by type and by wattage and by, you know, are they coming in? Are they going out? It's going to take a while. I'm going to need some boxes to to properly, you know, organize them and store them. I'm probably going to need a little tester lamp so I can make sure they all work before I sort them or in the process of sorting them. I haven't done that yet. So my area is all screwed up. So I moved over to the couch. And I'm I'm podcasting to you today from the couch, and it's a much more velvety environment. Yeah, on the couch, there's a lot less plate glass. There's a lot more velvet. Uh huh. 
Because I'm sort of a, I mean, it's it's a cliche to say, but I've sort of I'm sort of a velvet couch type person. I've had a lot of velvet couches over the years. We used to call them velour, and I think velour and velvet are close enough. Yeah, what's the difference between velvet and velour, and then there's velveteen? I don't know, honestly. I'm, I've got to consult. And I'm not sure whether this is a velour couch or a velvet one, but. Well, the first, as I start typing in velvet versus, the first response was velvet versus velour. Mm -hmm. There is an article here. That's a great band name, actually. Velvet versus versus velour. velour. Uh, And this is an article on canvas, etc. Velour versus velvet fabrics have a complex and rich history. They've also Mm -hmm. been commonly mistaken over the years due to their similar nature. Velvet, while older is slightly now less commonly used than velour. Oh. So velour fabric is a napped cut pile knit fabric made from cotton napped blend. cut pile knit. That's what it says. Made from a cotton blend or all synthetic fibers. Velour, which derives from the French word for velvet, yeah, way. Well, well, <laughs> is, is mostly made synthetically with polyester. Synthetic velour made from polyester is inherently flame retardant. Velour's inherent flame retardant classification comes from the National Fire Protection Association's 701 flame retardancy standard. Well, that's nice to know. Well, just in case you don't know, that standard uh, is what sets forth testing on fabrics to determine if they're resistant to fire. Oh, now I do know. That seems to be the main difference. Um, And... uh, it says that velour's inherent flame resistance means that it will remain flame retardant no matter the times it's laundered. It remains fire retardant through the lifetime of the fabric without special added chemical processes. That's exciting. But velvet is natural. It's traditionally silk-based, and so I feel like velvet's more natural. Yeah, yeah, I would have said that. I would have said that. I think in 1980, I had a velour V-neck shirt that I wore to the first day of eighth grade. So I guess it would have been 1981. (laughs) Was it red? It was a kind of uh, burnt umber with blue stripes. And someone at the school, you know, the world was transitioning then. And some kid was like, you know, nice... 70s shirt or something. Mm. It's 1981 and we were already throwing shade on the 70s. Right. And uh, it wasn't a 70s shirt. It was a new shirt. I bought it at Sears right before school started. But it was the first time anyone had commented on my clothes Mm. in a way that was like, your clothes are uncool. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in elementary school, I don't know. That never came up. I mean, at least in the seventies, I don't remember anybody. No one cared about clothes at that age. I don't think really. No, nobody said ever a word and whatever my costumes were never once did somebody say, Oh my God, are you really wearing that? And I think my, my kid in fifth grade now, I don't know if they throw shade on each other, but they're definitely, she definitely feels like, ugh, boys have no style. And so if she <laughs> says well, that to she's me, right. She's right. She, she's got to be saying it to them. Like they all just wear sports things. Right. But yeah, that, that first day it had to be eighth grade 
I was in that shirt and somebody was just like, oh my God. And I, and the whole thing, everything changed. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What am I supposed to be wearing? They were like, no, no, no. If you don't know, then you don't know. How old were you when they had the members only jackets? That was about that. That was about that same time. They arrived on the scene right about then, eighth, ninth grade. Right. And I was opposed to them, deeply opposed. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I just, uh, in the same way that I said I would never go to Dallas, I (laughs) I, uh, also felt like members only, and the thing about members only jackets is they became, uh, they were such a fad. They lasted for so long. Even my senior year, Mark Renner showed up to school in a leather members-only jacket. I did not know there was such a thing. That's that, I would say appropriate. I didn't either, and I said to him, like, what? Because he, Mark Renner was cool enough guy. He was a cool guy. He's, mm-hmm. he's not like somebody in a members-only jacket. And he was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's a, it's a leather jacket. It just happens to be made by members-only. But there was a there was a phase, a thrift store phase, in the early two thousands, where the thrift stores were just full of members only jackets. You could get you could find any size, any color, because they were a rainbow of colors, mm-hmm. and you could buy them for less than ten dollars. Just oh. just racks and racks of them. And I remember at the time feeling like. Okay, I hated members-only jackets in their era. <laughs> can I convert now? If I can, if I can put on a members-only jacket and feel like, oh, right, it was not, it wasn't cool in '83, but it's cool now because something. Then I'll be, then I'll be in the money. Like I can make members-only jackets my new look. Like yeah. the whole, you know, the whole thing. And I tried. I would go into the store and I. You know, like going through the racks, I'd find another one. I'd be like, maybe a white members only jacket is, that's the key. Put it on and I'm just like, no, I can't. I can't do it. And I bet you now they're vintage and then they're expensive. I bet, I bet you if you if you went looking for them, they'd be expensive. Although maybe not. There were so many of them. There were so many of them. Maybe they'll always be $10. Because they're just because they're a glut upon the land. But did you have a members only jacket? You seem like it's the thing. You're a little bit younger than me, and and a members only jacket might have been cool to to totally, your generation. Totally had one, and mm-hmm. I was what color gray, mm-hmm. and I was adamant that it be a legit one. And we did not have really any money. So, oh, that's the thing, right? Because there were fake ones too, right? And so my mom was sort of trying to oh, look, look. Here's here's a members only jacket, and I was like, "That's not a members only." Do you look? It's got the thing with the snaps. It's great. You, you know, it's good. It's good. And I was like, "It's not. It's not. It's not the real." Uh, so yeah, I was very, very. But when I finally, you know, got one, I probably got it for like Christmas, Hanukkah one year, and I was just so thrilled. To yeah. get it. And I love, I just loved it. I loved it. I wore that thing until it was just threadbare. I just loved that thing. <laughs> it, it was great. I know, I know the one, I know the, I know the look I can picture you yeah. in it. Yeah. 
you know, I was just enough older that the jackets, you know, those, those like, I wore that um, thing in the summertime in oh, Florida. I know. They 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 were they were the they were the thing, man. I, loved I know. It. I loved it. It's crazy. That, I just that motorcycle so collar, the the um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the lapelless collar. Mm-hmm. Well, I forget what those are called. Cafe, the cafe racer ah, collar. Yes. Um I was just enough older that the version of those that we had in the in the 70s when I was a kid were um they were they had like racing stripes either offset down one side oh. or down the sleeve. And they usually had a patch on them that said like, uh, that had some motorsports thing that said like Ford or, oh. or uh, hooker headers or, <laughs> you know, like um, Bardal oil. You know, it, it was at some sort of Formula One sure. element. Yeah. And then there were ones that were made of reflective silver that looked like racing race car flame retardant jackets. And they had cafe racer collars. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you'd have like crossed checkered flags and and so those were uh those were the the things that you know that we wore in the seventies. And then there was a ski jacket version of it. Which was kind of or like still a, within the members only brand and everything, or were these? No, not, these, these weren't members only at all. These were just pre members. Oh, pre. Okay. Yeah, this was this was because this was a '60s style that had kind of gone over into the '70s. It oh. was it was, you know, it was like motorsports tradition. Members only was was an, a, a later. They took some of the styling cues and ran with it, but these jackets, these '70s you know, moto jackets, right? All the, all the, they're, they're, they were coming from the leather jacket school. They got turned into these nylon jackets Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of crossover with like, is this a ski jacket? Is this a NASA jacket? You know, it was that, that lapel-less collar with the buttons, the snaps, right? Yeah. And so maybe my reaction to members only jackets was partly that I'd that I had this strong association with with the with the race car version of it sure. or like you know the it wasn't even the race car it well, was that makes, just that makes a, sense John I mean th- yeah. I think that makes perfect sense why But you know that was I mean one of the things about my sense of style when I was young was that it was just as much about what I was against as it was what I was uh, for. Right. You you didn't get this thing cuz you liked it. You got it because it was not the other thing. Right. I often did that. I often did that. You know, I I was thinking as you were describing this, I remember, do you remember when bomber jackets made a brief like resurgence in popularity? Sure. Leather bomber jackets with the um you it know, was the top Top Gun phenomenon. Yeah, I think it was Top Gun, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, and that couldn't couldn't do that either. You know, bomber jackets. I couldn't. It. I couldn't. I couldn't wear a bomber jacket because I felt like you needed to earn every one of those patches. What are you doing? You're walking around with a with a uh, a flying tiger's you patch on there. You, you didn't. haven't taken out the bonsai uh, plane. Yeah, you never flew the. The Burma Road or whatever. Right, stop, right. stop, stop fronting. Yeah. So there was a little bit of that. You, you shouldn't front, right? And 
And uh, the motorsports stuff, there was a lot of fronting in that. But, you know, I was eight years old. Like, nobody, I didn't, all that stuff was just handy. kind of oblivious to fronting and maxing. When I was eight years old, I never once went to a store and said, I want that. Because, as you were saying, no money. You know, what the clothes that I got were clothes that I got. And I wasn't supposed to ask where they came from. It was not until, well, and, and same problem in high school when I said, oh, well, it's important that you have clothes that people don't tease you about. Here are some that that I would like to own. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, well, good luck. Right. Good luck with that because you don't have the money to own those. And so here are your choices. You can buy, you can use all the money you have for school clothes this year to buy one shirt because that's how much that shirt costs. And it wasn't even that much, but... You know, her her school budget for for my sister and me was, you know, you each get $40 or something. Right. And she said, or you can continue to do what we've always done, which is go to the Goodwill and for that $40, fill up, a, fill up two garbage bags with new clothes if you do it right. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess. I guess you're right. You know, I'll never own a pair of Red Wings, but... I will have lots of clothes that get me teased (laughs) because, you know, my own style, once I went to the thing, once I went to the store and I wasn't just waiting for my mom to shop it, I was like, oh, I'm buying my own clothes now. Did you go to, I mean, I went to, mostly I went to public schools, but I don't think I was even conceptually aware of style. Like I definitely knew for example, I definitely knew that like members only was a thing. It was like a style in that sense of like that. But like, I didn't understand like how, how to actually combine different things to create like a real, like a look. And I actually think that most guys never really get that. They understand the concept of matching. You know, while I'm wearing, I'm wearing blue jeans so they probably know not to wear a blue shirt that's the same color as the jeans. But they probably are like... Unless it's a Tennessee tuxedo. Yeah. But that's on purpose, usually. But, yeah. you know, like, guys are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to wear, a, blue, I'll, I'll wear a, a black shirt with the blue jeans. I'll look fine. And that's about as far as guys go with, like, building a style. Like, well, my, my football team's playing this weekend. It's Friday. I'm going to wear my colors. Like, that's a style decision, I think, for most guys. They're not really, like, they don't have a look... And so when you see a guy who actually has a look, and you do, and you're in this category, but when you see a guy who actually has a look, they really stand out and they're like become potentially a fashion icon. Mm, Icon. Because it's so rare that a guy actually has a look. I'm not saying like most guys, I feel like nowadays they're aware they need to wash their clothes. (laughs) <laughs> they, they shouldn't be wrinkled like guys have gotten past that stage well and clothes companies have made it easy for guys right yes. they, you know they say hey come into the store pretty much everything you buy is going to go with everything else right you you know guys wore guys now like well-dressed men now can wear plaid shirts with collars and button-down collars and right wear slim fit jeans and they look fine you know they look great right and um 
and the like J crew gap old Navy hierarchy of, of stores, you know, they're just like, do you want the banana Republic level of, of uh, slim fit pants and plaid shirt? Or do you want the old Navy level? It's you're going to be fine no matter what you do. But I don't understand that about guys. And it's, and I think it's primarily because my, when I would go to the thrift store and look at clothes, I was already interested in history. And history, a lot of the time, is told in shorthand through fashion. They show you a picture of 1776, and you know where you are right away mm-hmm. because you've got a tricorner hat, and you've got a powdered wig, and you've got knee-high stockings. And then they show you a picture of the War of 1812, and it's now it's different. There's no wigs. There's sideburns. They're tall hats, no more stockings. And then they show you the Civil War, and everybody's dressed in black and lots of buttons and mm-hmm. tall hats and beards. You know, so every time you get more interested in, in history or anytime you learn a new th- thing about history, one of the ways that the books and the and the culture and teachers and TV, they establish a place in time by showing you the style. Right. And they don't explain it. Right. Like you're just about, you just, you just figure it out, I guess. Right. You know it. Right. And no one has ever explained. I've never read in all the years. There was a transition between 1780 and 1805 where men's fashion underwent an enormous change. Mm-hmm. And if you if you watch Master and Commander. You know, I just had that one queued up. If you watch Master and Commander, you'll see that the that and the one of the things that makes that movie an incredible film is that the set design and the and the costuming is so beautiful. It's so perfect. And it captures this moment where Half of the crew, you know, like Aubrey is still rocking his um, his captain's hat on sideways, and he's got a you know ponytail. Like he's he's coming at it from this 18th century style, mm-hmm. but the guys that are younger than him have sideburns and are wearing their their hats front to back, you know, because everybody in the Royal Navy kind of, you show up and you kind of get, you you have your uniform made by whoever made it and they don't exactly match each other. And that's historic, historically true, right? They weren't, they didn't get them at the, at the store. So everybody had a different take on what. So that, that they were sort of cobbling together a, a uniform based on what they had, what they could afford and where they, where they got it. Yeah, like an like an officer would wear certain items, and sailors with different jobs would wear different items, but there wasn't anything standardized. And this was I did a, not this, know that this all took place during this transition period, because if you know if you look at if you look at men in eighteen twelve and men in seventeen eighty, it's like 
radically different. But men in 1780 and men in 1680, it's 100 years. And, you know, it's like mild changes, slightly mm. less flamboyant, I mean, in the Americas. But, you know, something radical happened. I've never read the fashion history that explains why why Englishmen stopped wearing powdered wigs um, and why all of a sudden, like, Napoleon haircuts were, and maybe it was Napoleon, honestly. Maybe he, maybe, maybe it was he, just him. He just set the new stand, uh, fad. But so when I was at the thrift store at the age of 12, being told that I was not going to, no one was going to buy me um, an Izod shirt, new. But I could take this this forty dollars, which you know, in nineteen eighty, was a fortune, right? And go to the thrift store and buy clothes for the whole year. As I went through the racks, I was looking at things, and in my young person's imagination, you know, I'd pull a jacket out and be like, "Wow, I bet this is from eighteen fifty." And it wasn't, but thrift stores were really different then. You could just go through a rack and there'd be something from 1920 um, because people wore their clothes a lot longer. And if somebody, you know, in 1920, in 1980, there were people still alive who had had that jacket made in 1920. Sure. And so I went through the racks and what I was looking for was clothes that had a historical uh, temperature to them. I would say this jacket's from the 60s and this jacket's from the 50s and this one's from the 40s. And I knew it because I'd seen movies and I was keyed into the whole story of like, well, then lapels got big, then lapels got small. You know, fashion was a way of marking time. So when I showed up to school, I was very proud of these outfits because I already felt like, well, I know that the lapels are the wrong size for now, but it's these lapels are from the 40s. Isn't that cool? And of course, no 12-year-old or 14-year-old thinks that's cool, or very few do. And I wasn't a thespian, so that's probably where my like-minded friends would have been. And in the eighties, it was still true that the style of the year would arrive and everybody would, would get in line. And so now we're wearing skinny ties again. And now we're wearing small, you know, um, tab collar shirts, even although nobody did. When I found, when I, when I first found, like a mother load of tab collar shirts at a thrift store. I was so psyched. I was like, it's just like the Beatles wore. And it and tab collar shirts actually were hip in the mid 80s because that because the older people, you know, the, the kids that were 21 in 1983 were doing that sort of new wave new wave retro small tab collar shirt thing. And I found a bunch and all of a sudden I was wearing tab collars and I looked so punk rock 
but um, you know, I didn't have any punk rock friends either. And right. my friends were just like, God, would you just stop it? Would you just get with the program and just go buy a shirt at the store? Eh. I actually went through a phase a couple of years ago where I went looking for tab collar shirts, vintage ones. And then I remembered in the very late 80s, there was actually a resurgence because because in the mid 80s, the cool kids were buying tap collars at thrift stores. By the late 80s, there was a very brief resurgence where they were making new tap collar shirts and you could get them at Nordstrom. So I was online and, and I would find like a tab collar and I would go, oh, that's awesome. And then I'd look at it a little more carefully, you know, look at the label and I realized like, oh, that's a eight, 1989 tab collar shirt, not a 1962 tab collar shirt. All right. All of this stuff, it's just, uh, it, it's not even that it takes up a place in your head. It's just a thing that's either there or not for you. I, I was watching a new television show last night because we, we watched um, Casa de Papel, the uh, the Money Heist show. Oh, yeah. Have you watched Money Heist? Yes. And so Netflix and the nation of Spain <laughs> together now feel like they are in a partnership. Right. <clears throat> and I think all of Spain, every... Castilian actor is trying to put up a show where there's some some gunfights and Madrid is the backdrop and <laughs> and they're doing that fantastic you know uh, Castilian Spanish yeah it's that's such a, a wonderful wonderful language to hear in a in the you know in a dramatic television show so we found one that's about a young woman who survived a concentration camp who's living in Madrid in the 60s and she and a and a group of at least so far it's not clear it's very heavily implied that they are working for Mossad oh. but no one says anything and in fact in the first two episodes no one actually says the word jewish uh, to refer to any of these People, they've all they all survived a concentration camp, but there's some, but all the language that they use about it is like we were part of the, we were part of the Republican side of the Spanish Civil War and got ran afoul of the Nazis or got captured in Paris and sort of like, well, are you Jews or not? Like, can we get can we get some clarification on this? So it's one of those shows where I've watched two episodes. I'm like, well, I think this. It's pretty good. It's I, you know, I could get into it, but the problem is, they hired someone to procure every 1960 car in mm. Spain, mm -hmm. so that when they do the long shots, the tracking shots across the Plaza del Sol, or you know, they st all the all the big establishing shots. It's clear that they're shooting them at five o'clock in the morning. Oh, right, because it's got this you know, this perfect dawn sun and they clear everything out of the Plata del Sol and they put a bunch of 60s cars in there and it looks great. It looks great. The cars are great. But whoever's doing the costuming is just not taking advantage of the opportunity. 
the clothes in 1962 are so awesome. Mm-hmm. Every character in that show should have a different super duper kick-ass outfit on at every, you know, they should look like the untouchables. Right. And, and in some ways they just, whoever they hired to do it just doesn't understand. They don't, they didn't understand the era, right? They didn't, they, they're a costume designer and they didn't do the research and they didn't do the research clearly because they didn't care. Maybe like, they just had you, like an idea of what they they thought was cool. Yeah. And that's that's what they went for. That well, you know, like this kind of looks like the 60s. It's cool. So so what so the the number one thing is the lead actress has long straight hair parted in the middle. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone in the world knows that that style did not come in until later in the 60s. In the early 60s, you had, uh, well, that was the the arrival of the pixie cut, as worn by Twiggy. But you had back-combed hair, you had beehive hairdos, you had all these cool, 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 cool hairstyles. Nobody, there was no Joan Baez yet. But this this actress is wearing her hair pulled back in a high ponytail in every scene. And a lot of these scenes, it's like, okay, she's in disguise or she's pretending to be somebody. She, and she's just wearing this high ponytail that looks like she's on her way to, uh, to dance church on the internet, right? She just looked – because right now, high ponytail, hair pulled back, high ponytail – or not high, mid-high ponytail. It's just the ubiquitous look. Every woman in America has it. It's the look that says, I am a woman, so I grow my hair long, but I'm busy and I don't want to do anything to it. And so I pull it back in a ponytail. So right. I both, it's both inconvenient because long hair is a pain in the ass. And also I do nothing with it except pull it in back in a severe bun. Right. So it's like, you know, my feeling is if you're going to pull your hair back, Cut it all off. Why? What is the? What's the point of having like a horse's tail in the back of your head? Just cut it off. Well, Wear short a, hair. Because maybe they don't do that every single time. Maybe they want the long hair. Sometimes. But this is the thing: they wear the long hair. You know, and I'm just making sweeping uh, yeah. observations here based on my constant interaction with the world as I know it. But when anymore does anyone take their hair down and do anything with it? Like. Friday night, maybe? When was the last time you went to a restaurant? Like, no one does anything with anything. I, I went, uh, I've been going to baseball games, right? Because the Mariners so you're, are doing so you're good. Saying, hold on. You're saying that yeah. because we are currently experiencing a pandemic, that all women should cut their hair and wear it short. I like short hair. Yes, you, but I think you're biased, though. I do have a bias. Yeah. But also, what I I feel like the hair pulled back off of the face is not a very becoming style. Mm. There's nothing soft about it. There's nothing interesting about it. Oh, I, it's d- not I disagree. A, I think it's a wonderful style. Well, I, I know, but it, I think it's great, but, it, but it's not, it's, it is what it, I mean, well, if you think it's a wonderful style, you're living in your 
in the prime of your time, Dan, because everyone is wearing it. Yeah. And I guess historically, women's hair is another one of these fashion demarcators. Uh-huh. Like, oh, you look at that hairstyle, you know what era. You know the time is, right? period because of the hairstyle. Right. That is a that's a Goldie Hawn. That's a Farrah Fawcett. You've got your uh, you've got your Nadia Comaneci. You've got your Dorothy Hamill. You've got uh, your your Twiggy and your so forth and so on. Right. And now, like so many other things, fashion has become the lowest common denominator. Everybody's wearing the same hairstyle. It is. It has no distinction of any kind it's just it's just it's like uh the hairstyle that you would wear if you were going to scrub a floor <laughs> right yeah, it's just, ba- it's just bathroom like, cleaning hair get my hair out of my eyes right is what it is right and um and so you look at a picture of of that and it's just like well that's uh there it is it's very practical um, and if practical is what you're going for, cut your hair off. Hair is impractical. By definition, it's impractical. Hair does not, long hair does not keep your head warm. It doesn't protect you from bees. It's not a weapon. You can't eat it to survive. Like it has no utility. And so uh, the only utility it has is to, is to, signal to signal that you are you're you're saying this or you're saying that like that your hair is this because that because this you know it's a it is fashion and fashion is signal and so it's very confusing to me why you would why you would keep your powder dry you would keep your powder so dry <laughs> that it's it's like all you have is powder. You don't you, you gave your rifle away. You're just carrying around a backpack full of gunpowder. It just seems dangerous. And that's the problem with this Spanish television show. The the costumer, the the makeup people, the stylists. Are, are they're too young or they're not interested or they're not interesting mm. or they never, what's crazy is that maybe they've, it's never dawned on them that fashion and style are signals and are playful and are, you know, the, the, the conformity. And you see this throughout history. This was my problem with the Americans, the television show, the Americans. Oh, I loved that show. It was a great show, and they did such an incredible job with set design and style. Such a great job. They, what was you know, the what was the problem that you had with it? Well, that's the thing. It was one of those shows where the clock radio was right, the pillowcases on the bed of a of a, a of like a minor character. They were the the right pillowcases for that character at that time. Like whoever was doing that work for that show was a genius. Mm. But the, the main female character, uh-huh. what's the actress's name? I Do you know remember? The, yeah. Hold on. I'll look it up for you. 
She wears a lot of eyeliner. She was on a TV show, some other TV her show. Her name is Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell. She's a great actress. She was great. She in was the Felicity. Show. Uh, Felicity on the show. Felicity. Felicity. Yeah. That's that's what that's what I was thinking. But the set and the style people flinched when they approached Carrie Russell, and I think part of it is that they wanted her to be beautiful in a contemporary way, hmm. because no one. You can make a you can make a male actor look like a total dweeb to situate him in the culture. Right. But you don't want your lead actress to look like a dweeb. No. You ever. want her to be uh, you want her to be beautiful by contemporary standards. Oh, and so what so what you're saying is they took too much of what we in 20 when was the show done? 2018. They Something took like too much of what we thought was uh, attractive woman style for 2018 and applied it to her, a character that was supposed to be in, you know, 1975 or whatever year. And what's amazing. Oh no, it was 80, 80, 80, you know, early eighties. But what's amazing is they knew what eighties looked like because she routinely was in character. She would wear costumes and disguises where she would have a wig that made her hair look permed. She would have those, those strange upside down glasses that, that all women wore in 1983. Yeah. Um, she would go into costume as, uh, as an eighties woman. And we would all go, Oh wow. Look, she's changed her appearance so dramatically. Like it's so cool, but her baseline and her daughter's baseline style that they wore when they were being themselves and their normal selves, Mm -hmm. those were not looks that any, woman had in 1983 those looks and again they were like straight hair pulled back plain makeup or you know like like kind of avril levine makeup not plain but like you know a a kind of makeup it was it was contemporary it was a contemporary look and it was their default look because that's what the the show wanted wanted to make sure that we knew that these were stylish attractive women and I don't th- and they didn't trust us that we could look through the 80s filter and still find them appealing right because if and you it, go back in time and you actually look at the styles that most people wore not 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 celebrities not people in fashion the regular working class people who is in definitely who they were in that show. They were supposed to be just regular middle-class family. If you look at what regular middle-class people wore in that time period, you're absolutely right. It was nothing like what the main characters wore. It was more like what the people went, went, what, who they were dressing as when they were in disguise, their disguises were actually more accurate. They were, they were, their disguises were great. And all the supporting characters or a lot of them were dressed appropriately as eighties people, which made the main characters when they were not in drag made them to my eye, just look weird. And if you're going to spend so much effort making the pillowcases, right. And it's not like a question of effort, whoever it was that was Easter egging the shit out of that show for the for the one in a thousand people 
that was like, whoa, 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 push pause, freeze frame that. Do you see that thing on the shelf in the background? That's the exact thing that would be there. Oh, my God. You know, whoever was doing that work loved it. They loved it. And it was not work to them. You could just tell that every day they they just desperately wanted to go to work because they were because they had this vision. They were creating a reality that was 30 or 40 years old. And they had the power. They knew mm-hmm. they had the power. They were an artist, right? right. They, they knew what was wrong and they knew what was right. And th- those people, whoever that person or those people were that worked on the Americans, they must have hurt inside when they saw Carrie Russell come out of makeup and take her place in the scene where she was wearing um, – an outfit that was like, yeah, cool 2012, like workout clothes or whatever. Yeah. But none of that would have, none of that existed. And that's, that's my issue with the, with the show I'm working with right now. And maybe it's going to change, but like the, the lead actress is not being given the exciting opportunity to, to locate herself in the, in the time that the story is being told. She's, She's maintaining this kind of like I shop at Zara look. And yeah, but they're spending thousands and thousands of euros to make sure that there's like the right Alfa Romeo in the background. Oh, right. And it, and it, so it's clearly two different teams working on it. But, but that was, that was what was happening to me when I was. When I was 12 and showing up at school, I, I felt like, yeah, we're all, you know, yeah, fast times at Ridgemont High. Got it. Like, I know that's where we are now. We live in, we live in a world where Dr. Zog's sex wax <laughs> and vans and, I mean, that was even just prior to Esprit sweatshirts. Uh, painters caps really and and like i saw i i knew what the milieu was but i had on a double-breasted suit that was you know that harry truman might have worn and i got it for two dollars and like, come on, isn't that exciting? Like, isn't that fun? And it, and that was my, that was the rude awakening that fashion is, it's very fun. If you, It's very fun to you. And it's very fun if your audience is, is along for the ride. But it's it's very lonely if you're in a public high school in Alaska. Yeah, I still kind of feel like I feel that way. And I, what happened to me is that I grew to be the shape that I am. Right, I'm a I'm very big and sort of. Um, unrefined right there are no sharp edges to me i'm i'm everything is just 
like just slightly out of focus, right? My, my face is just slightly out of focus. My hands, my shoulders, it's all just a little bit fuzzy. And so that dictated what my style could be as time went on. If you're big and slightly out of focus and you choose for yourself Italian tailoring, you're going to have to spend a lot of money and work really hard and you're always going to look and your suit is always going to be more in focus than you are. Oh, yeah. Which is not what you want. No. So a lot of your style choices get made for you by you, by God. You have to find the thing that flatters you. And in my case, a lot of things were eliminated. I think this is true of anybody that finds their style. It's, it's a process of elimination. Can I wear this? It's not a question of do I have the flamboyance to pull it off. It's a question of like, is this is this me? Does this work? Does this? What does this signal? And is it the wrong? Am I sending the wrong signal? And it's not social, it's, it's intrinsic, right? So your style kind of comes out through your skin. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid to take any, I wouldn't even call most of the stuff nowadays because style is so varied now. And that's the other thing as, as we've been talking about this that I've really been thinking about is there was almost like a dress code for, uh, I mean, I don't know when this changed. You probably have a better, better handle on when this changed than I do. But I remember that for a long period of time, and I think I became aware of this in high school, that not just that people would react differently to you based on what you were wearing, but that there was almost like a dress code for the group that you were associated with. If you were kind of into punk rock, you know, then you went to the army Navy surplus store and you got, you know, your combat boots and a certain t-shirt and certain kind of pants and a haircut that you would wear. And if you were like, you know, a, a, a jock, you had a different kind of an outfit. If you were a nerd, you probably had a, a different kind of an outfit. And you talk about the breakfast club. That's a good example of it. Um, and I think they maybe in a slightly exaggerated way, but they got it right. And that continued. I mean, it was very easy in my 20s to look at someone and based on what they were wearing, say, you probably have this kind of a job. You probably live in this neighborhood. And not in a way that you would like, you know, use against someone, but it would kind of give you an idea of like, well, with that haircut, you probably, you know, work in finance. Like you could tell those things. But I don't really think that it's quite like that anymore. I think people are used to seeing somebody who looks like, you know, a 1950s like greaser who's like a database administrator, you know, like that's not weird anymore. You know, those lines have been completely blurred, but I don't know when that happened, but you certainly can't make any, I don't think anymore. It's not safe to make any assumptions about a person based on what they're wearing really the way that you could. And also there was also like a unified convention of like what people should wear. And I think in a lot of ways it was determined more by like a JC Penny and what they had. 
in in store for most of America. There wasn't an internet. There weren't, you know, you would have to go and buy a fashion magazine. And of course, the fashion magazines are extreme versions of whatever that style is. And you're not going to get something in, in 1987. You're not going to look at a fashion magazine and pick that stuff out and wear it. You're going to wear a modified version of what the stores in your town had to try and get a look that's like you're hinting at what you saw in, you know, Cosmopolitan or whatever. GQ. But now I think people do. I think it's very easy to see, you know, it's very easy for the person in the tiny, tiny little town to see what the Kardashians are wearing, you know? And, and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very, it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to do that. And then they, they want to emulate those styles. And so it, but, you know, what did we have exposure to back then? A couple TV shows, maybe a magazine, and so you were basically basing your style on what you saw, what was around you. Hence the members only jacket thing. Like everyone, everyone had one of those, but I couldn't, t- I couldn't have told you what would have looked great to really pair that with other than like jeans and a, you know, a polo shirt. And now I think it's well, very different. Style was very symbolic. Yeah. You know what you're talking about, the dress codes of different cliques. Um, you didn't, you didn't dress like a greaser and then work as a system admin. Correct. If you dressed like a greaser, you acted like a greaser. Right. And you, it's, and you dressed that way because you wanted to live that way. Yeah. Um, you chose the, you chose the clothes and the style of the, of the class of people you aspired to join or the class of people that you, you were born to be or. Uh, because those styles meant a lot. And high fashion was a was a world confined to major cities and very rich people and was only worn to a very expensive parties and you know it was a it was its own universe and really only meant to uh, it was a language only spoken by a very few people. Right. Um and and part of what I think happened was, I mean, part of it was Ralph Lauren, who made a career for himself by mining the styles of aristocrats from a prior generation. Ralph Lauren introduced to mainstream America the look of the horse he set from before the war. And he just went and found their old clothes and duplicated them. Right. Tweed jackets, button-down shirts, rep ties, corduroy. And he made he made that look, which was the look of money, available to the middle class. And then it sold so well because it initially conveyed money. Right. Yeah, I don't that, think people realize that that like a polo shirt that you can get at, you know, you can get one at Target for 10 bucks. That was an indication that you had you had some money. All of that stuff. Yeah. A a blue chambray shirt with with button-down collar was 
the sports shirt of the of people that didn't have to work for a living. Right. And then it became the shirt that everyone that worked at Kinko's wore. Right. And the Right. But that shirt, when you saw it, when you originally saw it, when someone showed up in a blue button down Oxford cloth shirt in the nineteen eighties, the shirt alone spoke volumes. We all were like, oh hello. Right. You know, excuse me, let me get out of your way. Mr. Uh, blue shirt with button down collar. And now I think anybody very much younger than me would just think of that as like, well, that's just a regular American dad shirt that every dad in America wears and has always worn. Right. But it's really, you can really trace it back to Ralph Lauren in the 1980s going back one after another and finding all those old clothes, you know, using the preppy handbook as a guide, penny loafers, boat shoes, khaki pants. What, what uh, we from people, people from our generation, Gen X, uh, would call preppy. Right. Preppy now is a completely different thing. I think we talked about this on an old show, but like what people consider to be preppy now I was talking to some millennials about this a few years ago, and there was some dude who was wearing a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and the t-shirt had like a like a boat on it, like a like uh-huh. an illustration of a boat. Uh-huh. And they were commenting about how preppy the guy. Oh, he's so preppy. He's a preppy look. I'm like, well, no, he's not. He looks like a homeless guy. He looks like a hobo. I'm like, no, it's, that's like preppy. He's like preppy. I'm like, it's <laughs> that's not even a look. That's this was the t-shirt that was clean. And a pair of these shorts, and he didn't even have boat shoes on or anything. I'm like, that's not really not preppy. And and they're like, you're totally wrong, Dan. And I was I was totally wrong. I was thinking of what we think of as preppy, which is obviously a completely different thing. Preppy, well, much if more I'm, elaborate and and much and and uh, out, outfits that are full of signals, right? Preppy signals is going to preppy is going to be probably. You know, you you probably have a pair. I'm thinking of pleated khaki pants. You've got your boat shoes. Hopefully Maybe the not pants. Pleated, but yes, I, I hear what you're saying. I was the 80s. I, I I don't like pleated pants, but this is this was of the time. And then you've probably got. You know, maybe you've got a polo. Maybe you've got your sweater sort of knotted around your neck. Maybe you've got your collar popped if you're going out. I mean, you've got the uh, tortoiseshell round glasses. You probably got a side part, a very prominent side part. Like, you just go watch American Psycho, you know? Like, that was, there was a look. And, I mean, I know that those guys are Wall Street, and, and they're not really doing preppy, but the, the extras in that movie are all preppy. And that was like a look, and now preppy is just like, well, there's a picture of a boat, you know, on my shirt, and I wore some sandals. And, like... That's all these styles now that have blurred. There is this blurring that's going on. And I really do think it's not better or worse. I'm not, I'm not saying, well, what we had was better. Um, but I think it's, it's those signals that you're talking about. I think you can't, you can no longer make any assumptions. It might just be that that, and, and the other thing was back in those times, if you dressed preppy or whatever, that was not just like you're saying it, it was your lifestyle too. It, it it represented the stuff that you did and it wasn't so much 
it, it wasn't just the look for Wednesday. It was your style. That was what, you know, and so if you looked preppy on Monday, you're going to look preppy on Thursday too. And I think now you might be preppy on Monday, whatever that means today. And on, you know, on Friday, you're goth. And I think that that was, it wasn't like that back then. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Well, the, the, the democratization of everything, which is a, which is a thing we aspired to for most of the 20th century, we have largely believed that democratizing is the is the path of progress, right? Because we're seeking equality. We're seeking um, we're seeking in the main greater economic equality, social equality, equality under the law. And the easiest way to describe that is to describe it as as making things more democratic. Um, like uh, breaking up elitisms, opening doors, um, disallowing discrimination, and uh, you know, making available to everyone the fruits and benefits of of America and of capitalism and of democracy. And what 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 you can't predict when you when you seek that noble goal is that the the quickest and easiest way to do that is to make everything equally cheap because expensive things are out of reach so right. um we just take expensive things and make them cheaply what things that used to look and and feel and be exclusive and expensive we just duplicate them but but cheaply and if there's a cheap version of it and an expensive version of it, most people will just pick the cheap version of it and the expensive one will go away. Mm-hmm. There are still blue button-down shirts that you can buy that cost $300 or you can have them custom-made in Paris, France, and they cost $800. But 99% of the people aren't going to do that. They're going to get it at L.L. Bean or, or, or Land's End or they're going to get it at Old Navy and it's going to cost $20. Right. And, and most people, most people can't tell the difference. Wouldn't wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. And the democratizing impulse in making everything cheaply, which really is, you know, and and ultimately that means making everything in China, and it means when you go on Amazon and look at two blue button down shirts and one of them is 1995 and one of them is 1895, you just pick the 1895 and you lose all sense of what quality is, what, uh, what durability is. You just, you become, you become as our culture is now just price fixated. And so it's a race to the bottom in terms of everything now is, is for shit. And you know, and and there is an element of virtue to it, because it was because it just it grates on us that there should be someone in a six hundred dollar shirt. Uh, it's it feels anti-American in a way, in, it, it, or the America that we aspire to 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 have. 
But as everything gets made cheaply and as everything is is taken, as we eliminate the or try to democratize the elitisms and and make it push away um, the 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 tribalism that's inherent in all that in fashion. Uh, what happens is that all those things lose their symbolism. They lose they lose their uh, they they no longer signify what they signify, and you can have a greaser who works as a system admin, and you can have an outfit that is um, b- by accident confusing to someone who's looking for signs, right? Because what it represents is you just bought the five cheapest things at the store, and you put them together uh, because they, because they color match. And you don't, and there's no way that a, that a modern person would understand the symbolism of like, well, you know, that tie is not a Hogwarts tie. Right. That tie was used in Hogwarts because it was, because it still even then resonated as symbolic of a certain kind of thing, and that rep tie comes from this long history, and uh, a long history that's deeply symbolic, where two people that could meet. Wearing two what to you seem like completely indistinguishable striped ties, and those two ties would tell them, you know, volumes about one another. And now it's just like Hogwarts is probably the um, that's the thing that the rep tie will <laughs> will symbolize, right? For from now on, right? That that's as far back. That's the history of it. Now that's the the symbolism of it. And so, what the democratizing impulse does is it it doesn't just lowest common denominator the style. It it, it erases the 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 language. You know the 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 nonverbal languages of of signaling and we we eliminate we try to eliminate tribalism by equalizing it hasn't eliminated tr- tribalism by any means tribalism finds a way <laughs> uh but now like the the profound language of style, which was absolutely rooted in class, but also occupation, also, you know, almost religious level of, um, like interest, right? Like a way of, a way of finding your tribe. And it's, it's largely gone now. Like I live in the suburbs, I walk around, I look at everybody and there's no conscious signaling anymore. And in 1992, three Seattle grunge, um, every person you walked down that you passed on the street was sending strong messages about who they were, who they wanted to be, who they wanted to be friends with, what you could look at somebody and just say like, I know the bands you like, I know the restaurants you eat in. 
because the world is that clearly delineated Mm -hmm. and style says all of that. And now on, on Capitol Hill, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of flamboyance, but I think what it is, is it's all individual. Every person is trying to be an individual. Every person that's, that's projecting style now is projecting individual style. This is me. This is me. I'm the one that's wearing this and you, you know, pow. And there's not that sense of style that I belong to a group. This is what we wear. And within our group, I am this person. I'm either flamboyant or I'm a member of the, of the, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a foot soldier in the grunge war or, you know, like, but that group identification is what is what is lost. And you do see flamboyant, fashionable people, but they're, they are, uh, it's, it's all a narcissistic expression because we're so, because, because having democratized the, all the cultural places, all, uh, you know, the, the, the signal now has to be me, 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 me. And honestly, like I am that now too. When I walk out of the house, I'm not, I don't expect anybody to see me and go, ah, you and I are members of the same tribe. Because if I see somebody who is dressed like me, I kind of assume that they're a poser which is a terrible, terrible way to live. But, you know, for years I wore the horn rim glasses that I found at thrift stores that were from the 1960s and I would get them, I'd get lenses put in them. It was because you couldn't buy them new. People were wearing those, those little sprockets glasses. Oh yeah. And you couldn't get big, you couldn't get glasses that looked like, um, Peter Sellers would wear. You couldn't find them. And I remember when Warby Parker started up and started making those glasses, cool, cool glasses. Because before that, if I was walking through an airport in any city in America and I saw a man walking toward me with a pair of horn rim glasses on, I knew more about him than I knew about my own friends because I knew what he had to have gone through to get those. And I knew that he had to care. And I uh, routinely would, I mean, we certainly would both recognize each other, nod, smile, but routinely stop and say, Hey, tell me, you know, like I like your glasses. Tell me about, tell me the story. And you, you, you met another warm body in Mm -hmm. a way Mm -hmm. based on just a few signals old Filson jacket, you know, a few of these things. And I remember the first time I went up to somebody in a store and said, Hey, I like your glasses. Tell me about them. And he turned around and looked, and I looked at the glasses more carefully. And I, I think I audibly gasped because (laughs) I could see from the material of the plastic that they were wrong. They were new because the old, you know, old glasses are made out of a, like the, the, the plastic is a very different composition. 
And I was like, huh. and he kind of like, like cheerful smile. He said, oh, they're Warby Parker. And he didn't get, he didn't see my shock. Yeah. Because he didn't know what I was talking about or he right. wouldn't have known what I was talking about because he bought them because they look cool and they were a hundred dollars. He didn't, and there was no work that went into the, into the look. It just looked like a look. And, and I really felt like, oh, oh no, 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 no. That mean that means that, you know, that, 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 this look that I've worked on my whole life is now just readily available. Right. Right. No you just longer, go and get it there. It doesn't take any effort. You're not going to thrift stores. You're not looking at stuff. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not qualified in any way well, just, to achieve the look. You just walked it, into a store and picked it off the rack. It doesn't mean anything, right? right. He, he doesn't know who Peter Sellers is. No. And he's not trying to, you know, he's not trying to do any, he's not trying to look like uh, Michael Caine in 1967. He He's does something else. It's uh He's 27. He doesn't, he doesn't know or care, but, but I saw my, I saw my hard work slipping through my fingers (laughs) because somebody, some later iteration of Ralph Lauren, some stylist at Warby Parker, who was also 27 was like, yeah, we should bring back these retro frames. And probably it's because Moscott in New York, which was still making those frames sold some to Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp yeah, looked, right. you know, was at Cannes film festival and looked cool in these glasses. And some stylist at Borby Parker was like, we'll do that. And, and the language that I'd been working on, you know, and becoming fluent in for half of my adult life was just now, uh, it just it, it it it's not like it was gone in an instant. It was like a sandcastle in the wind. It just sort of, you know, just gradually went back to sand. And now you walk around, and you know, half the guys are wearing that outfit, outdoor clothes, Michael Caine glasses, and it means nothing. It just it doesn't mean anything, right? And I, and in a way, I feel m- like mute or or muted because I don't want to I don't want to throw on a, a like an electric hat that says 2021 and, and blinking lights. You know, I don't want to I don't want to put um, a fez on right to to distinguish myself because I don't, because the Fez isn't what I'm trying to say. And, you know, and I think that's just going gently into that, into that good night. 